This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to The Holistic Survival Show with Jason Hartman. The economic storm brewing around the world is set to spill into all aspects of our lives. Are you prepared? Where are you going to turn for the critical life skills necessary to survive and prosper? The Holistic Survival Show is your family's insurance for a better life. Jason will teach you to think independently, to understand threats, and how to create the ultimate action plan. Sudden change or worst case scenario, you'll be ready. Welcome to Holistic Survival, your key resource for protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in uncertain times. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Jason Hartman. It's my pleasure to welcome Edward Dutton. He is the author of several books, including At Our Wits End, Why We're Becoming Less Intelligent and What It Means for the Future. He's got a new book entitled uh, Churchill's Headmaster, The Sadist Who Nearly Saved the British Empire, and The Silent Rape Epidemic, How the Finns Were Groomed to Love Their Abusers. Fascinating and controversial stuff, Edward. It's great to have you on the show. Let's start with At Our Wits End a little bit. Are we on the verge of a societal disaster? It is really, you know, have we gotten too soft? What, what's going on out there? Well, that's the thing with these kinds of changes. They're a kind of a salami tactic. And so you can't say you're on the verge of it. What will happen is it will happen very, very slowly. And once it happens, then nobody will understand quite how it happened. But yes, you could say, broadly speaking, we are on that verge. Adolf end looks at the fact that we are becoming less intelligent. And we're becoming less intelligent extremely quickly. We marshaled, myself and my colleague Michael Woodley of Mani, marshaled all of the growing body of evidence for this. And we prove that it's happening for genetic reasons. And we demonstrate that precisely the same process or very similar process happened in all previous civilizations. Civilizations are under intense Darwinian selection in which there is 40% child mortality and in which there is a strong relationship between how many surviving children you have and how rich you are. And and how rich you are correlates with your intelligence at about 0.3, 0.4. So are you saying people that have more children are less intelligent or more intelligent? Now, now less, but it used to be the other way around. Right, okay, okay. So in pre-industrial times... Child mortality was about 40%, but it was much higher among the the, the less well-off and much lower among the more well-off. And we know this from, we we have wills, for example, from um, 16th and 17th century England, which show that if you take those that were testators, which made up about sort of 60% of the population, those that were testators, and divide them between the richer 50% and the poorer 50%, then the richer 50% had a fertility advantage, i.e. their number of surviving children was 40% higher than the poorer 50%. And so what this process was doing was bootstrapping the population. It meant that every generation, those that were at the bottom, who would normally have had the lower eye intelligence, they died off. And those that were at the top had to move downwards to fill the places vacated by those at the bottom. We were becoming more intelligent. And we can trace this across time with things like literacy getting higher, numeracy getting higher, cruelty getting lower, per capita genius getting higher, which implies that the underlying population is more intelligent, and even um, head size getting bigger 
head size correlates robustly with intelligence across time, and even gene forms associated with intelligence increasing in the population. And then the Industrial Revolution happens and everything changes. With the Industrial Revolution, you have improved medicine, you have inoculations, you have improved conditions. And so what happens is the child mortality rate collapses from about 40 percent in 1800 to about 10 percent in 1900 to about 1 percent now. Overwhelmingly, this means that those who are surviving, this sort of the less well-off and whatever, and those that would have lower average IQ. So we have a situation where, and now this is interesting. It's a term I I coined many many years ago, and I, you know, you probably use it too. I would say we are in an era of either Darwin reversed or Darwin repealed. Right, that's exactly what's happening. It used to be that the smartest and the fittest survived, but with the welfare state, that has flipped that equation on its head, hasn't it? Yes, but it's not just the welfare state. It's a number of factors, one of which is the welfare state. Okay. As we industrialize, all advanced civilizations tend to do this. We become less stressed. We become more nice, as mm-hmm. you say. We become um, less instinctive. But first of all, the key thing is contraception. So once you get contraception, it's taken up by the higher classes. It trickles downwards. But contraception, once it becomes reliable, means that having a large family happens by accident. Right. People don't want to have large families. They can be richer without having large families and all this kind of thing. And, so and, and to- it, would seem, it would seem that the more intelligent among us have more foresight and they understand the consequences and the responsibilities of having children, whereas the less intelligent, uh, they kind of don't care. They delegate a lot of that responsibility to the state. In fact, they're incentivized by the U.S. to have extra children. Indeed. Also the foresight to use contraception. So if you take the pill, do you take it at exactly the same time every day like you're supposed to? Or do you knock it back with a glass of red wine in the evening when you remember? Right. Yeah. And obviously these kinds of things have an effect. And what it means is that the people who are low IQ, of course, they're either going to use contraception wrong or they're going to just not use it at all because they're too impulsive. This has helped to cause this reversal whereby the correlation between intelligence and how many children you have is now minus 0.1. Mm-hmm. So that means that the less intelligent have more children. A second factor, as you say, is the welfare state. This means that there is no financial disincentive if you have low IQ to basically not have children. There's this quite generous safety net. Now, I don't have the data for America, but there was a very interesting book by Adam Perkins from King's College London called, called uh, The Welfare Trait. And he shows that if you look at the British data and you take those where both parents are working, i.e. the most intelligent group, those where one parent is on welfare and families where both parents are on welfare, only the families where both parents are on welfare, where you'd predict an average IQ of about 80, are breeding at above replacement fertility. Mm-hmm. So welfare is clearly a factor in this. Another one is feminism. Yeah. So you will notice perhaps when you were at school that the less intelligent girl drops out at about 16, has a series of children by a series of unsuitable men, is becoming a grandmother by the time she's in her mid-30s. And then you should take the more intelligent girl and she will have dedicated all of her 20s and maybe even the first half of her 30s to her her career. Yeah. And if she has children at all, she may have one or two. She's becoming a mother by the time the less intelligent girls become a grandmother. So she's also got fewer generations as well as fewer children. So the multiplier effect is... So uh, you have a multiplier effect. And so you have welfare, you have, as I say, you have the contraception factor, you have the feminism factor, um, and then you have immigration from um, lower IQ societies as well. 
And these things together have created a snowball situation where there is now a minus 0.1 relationship between fertility and intelligence. It's really quite amazing what's happening. I mean, the falsity of political correctness and the way it obscures legitimate communication and facts is, is absolutely astonishing. And, you know, you can't even talk about half of this stuff anymore. But just look at the number of countries that will literally be extinct in a matter of decades. On the list, I would say Japan, Russia, Western Europe, not a country, but a region. These people have no fertility rate. They are becoming an extinct species. The environmentalist on the left always, uh, they, they like to say the slogan, you know, extinction is forever. Well, what about people? I mean, don't they care about them? They care about animals and bugs, but, you know, it's... it's I'd like to know two things. First of all, we know that this change is happening on is it for genetic reasons, because we know that in Iceland, we've got data showing that across the past three generations, the percentage of the population carrying alleles, which are associated with very high IQ, has gone down. Mm -hmm. And also, we know that on the IQ tests, the, the rise... That the fall in intelligence is definitely on G. It's on the more genetic aspect, 80% genetic um, aspect of the IQ test. As for your comment about low fertility, um, that really brings me into something else. My second book, really, um, Race Differences and Ethnocentrism, and the other book, one on Finland. So let's talk about that. But I want to make sure you cover all the points. So we talked about the welfare state, uh, feminism, you know, and the careerism, we'll call that too. It's not sort of feminism, careerism, uh, same concept. What else is there? Did you cover all those? Immigration, immigration, immigration okay. feminism. Yeah. Welfare state, okay. contraception usage. Okay, so four things. These would be really the, the key factors that have flipped the situation. Oh, I mean, to a degree, you could argue that the decline of religion is relevant as well, because one of the things that predicts fertility, is, as well as now being poor, as well as being low IQ, is religiousness. Mm -hmm. So religious people have more children uh, because they believe God is telling them to or, or whatever. Right. It may also be because they just have normal, more genetically in Darwinian terms, normal genes. They are the mm -hmm. people that would have survived under conditions of Darwinian selection because we were select be religious and religion is about 40 percent genetic so that may be an element as well if we were more religious it would probably push up the fertility rate as well but yes those are really the key factors and the result of it is of course that we know that intelligence is strongly correlated with all measures of civilization we're also going down in terms of per capita genius we can measure this across time we are now at a level in terms of per capita genius that we were in about 1600 so when queen elizabeth i was on the throne Mm -hmm. In terms of high-order word usage, you can do this by Google Ngram, analyzing texts and right. so on. Mm -hmm. We reached a high point for genius about 1850. Now we've gone back down to about the level we were, about 1600. Okay, so just, so just a question there. I mean, I would agree with you that good vocabulary is a sign of intelligence, but... Mm. Could you sort of um, chalk that concept up to we just live in a much more casual culture nowadays? That is true. Vocabulary has got better. We have a larger vocabulary than we used to. But what we're talking about is these very specific technical high order words. Mm -hmm. Words are thinking tools. When yeah, it comes no to question. That level yeah. Of yeah. There's a whole nucleus so of thought are, built they around They are a good yeah. marker of intelligence. Right. Yeah. Now, on that mark, again, we reach a peak in the text about 1850. And now we've got back to the level that we were in about 1750. In in terms of reaction times, reaction times, how quickly you react to something, correlate with intelligence about 0.3. Well, we've, we've got to be good at that because of all the video games, right? <laughs> oh, well, you'd think so. These can be measured across time. Uh -huh. we, our reaction times are getting slower. Oh, really? And based on that, we have lost between 1880 and the year 2000, about 15 IQ points. So reaction time is a uh, concept in, in an IQ evaluation, huh? 
But yes, it's a robust correlate of intelligence. It's a way of the problem with the IQ test is there's cultural elements to it. There's elements which mean that they're not objective measures across time mm-hmm. because you can get better at IQ tests by being trained in them and, and things like this. Okay. But it's more, that's more difficult when it comes to reaction times. But how do you how do you know what the reaction time was in 1600 and 1500? I can't. I can't. We don't know that. But we do know what it was in 1880 because we measured it then in about the same way we do now. Okay. We can say that we've we've lost 15 IQ points, which is the difference between let's say an average person, policeman, office worker, or something like that and a school teacher or an account. Okay. So we're definitely getting less intelligent and it's for genetic reasons. And the key factor basically is people with low IQ outbreeding those with high IQ. This is not good for the world, is it? Not in the short term, no. It means we're entering the winter of civilization. And in all, in all, we look at in our book, we show that you have the same process in ancient Greece, in ancient Rome. You can basically show that across time, the level of per capita innovations, we can, mark, we can measure that, goes up, reaches a peak, and then it goes down. As it goes down, the civilization collapses. And this tends to parallel contraception being invented, it being taken up by the higher classes, and then people with lower IQ having higher fertility than those with higher IQ, and the civilization going backwards, and being unable to do things we used to be able to do. Like Mm -hmm. we can't now, it seems we probably can't go to the moon. We're not intelligent enough anymore. Because for that to work, you've got to have lots and lots of clever people, and there's lots of little things that might go wrong. And as the IQ of the society goes, and those little things can have knock-on effects, one screw being loose can bring everything down. Sure. And as you get a less intelligent society, there's greater and greater possibility of little things going wrong, mm-hmm. such as the Challenger disaster, such as Concorde crashing because a bit of metal was jagged, was wrong, stuck on the back of the previous aircraft, right. or whatever. This is why India, which has some very high IQ people, of course, has trouble doing these kinds of big projects because the IQ is only about 78. So yes, it would imply that we're moving into the winter of civilization. And this is something that always seems to happen with civilization. This is a sad story. You were going to switch gears to your other book, one of your other books. And I don't know if you did that just in the conversation or not. But did you want to make a point about that? Well, the point I was going to make was you were, you were asking, you were talking about the, the decline in fertility of European nations. Right. There was a very interesting experiment that was done by John Calhoun at the University of Maryland in the late 60s. And he decided to create a mouse utopia. So he got all these mice and he freed no predation, vets on hand all the time, no disease, you know, a utopia for mice. Basically, he heavily limited, he reversed, he stopped Darwinian selection. And what happened, first of all, the parallels to what's happened to our society are eerie. So what happened, first of all, was a massive explosion in population. This has happened in the Industrial Revolution with inoculations and all that kind of thing. Huge population explosion, right? Then the population growth starts to slow down. Then the population starts to plateau. Okay, and then the population starts to decline. And when that happens, they just as ours is declining, they start to notice unusual things. A lot of the males aren't interested in sex and actually have to be pestered by the females for sex, just as is happening in Japan. Mm-hmm. A lot of the females become more masculine and they start becoming more aggressive and like men, basically. And that's that's happening in the U.S., on their young. Um, They do weird things like undermine the ability of the mice to become optimally adapted, such as throwing the the babies out of their nest too young and things like this. Mm -hmm. And then they notice a cast of males that develops, which they call the beautiful ones. And these are these autistic-like males that have no interest in fighting, no interest in gaining territory, no interest in gaining females. They have no scar tissue when when they die, and they simply just drink water and eat and become fat and whatever. 
And then equally, the females are very stressed and they start to miscarry and all this. And eventually it gets to a point where no more mice are born. You're describing the world today, at least in the right. US. Where no, where, no, where no more mice are born. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the mouse utopia continues. And so consequently, the colony within about three years of starting just dies out. Wow. Now, this is very interesting because, of course, you can see the parallels with our own society that you have all these. This would have happened because of mutational load. There's no evidence this was happening for environmental reasons because the environment was a huge area. They weren't crowded. It was mutational load. Mutations would have been washed out every generation through predation and whatever. Mutations of the body correlate with mutations of the mind because the mind is about 88 percent of the genome. So what was happening was that as these mutations of the body were building up and they were becoming less physically healthy, they were becoming more mentally unhealthy as well. And they were having mental spiteful adaptations, spiteful mutations, as my colleague calls them, which made them act in a maladaptive way. Mm-hmm. As you see with these aggressive mothers or these fathers that don't want sex or these beautiful ones that don't want anything to do with anybody else. They're acting in a maladaptive way. Mm-hmm. And this gets worse because the, the mice are a highly social species. So it, if you are with a person who's maladaptive, that can mess up someone, who, even if they're not the carrier of the, of the spike of mutation. Right, so because it messes up, up the whole community. It pollutes yeah, the community. They, in the case of the mice, they, the mouse life is based on urine. And so if they're producing weird urine, that, that means that it's not marking things properly and the mice can't work out what's going on, that's going to make them stressed and whatever. Hmm. Well, an equivalent with humans would be humans with, with maladaptive ideas that would have been destroyed you under Darwinian conditions, such as antinatalism, such as believing that life is pointless, such as believing you should starve yourself to death, such as believing that, that it's wrong to be in favour of your own ethnic interests, whatever. And so these ideas will affect the indoctrinatable of those who don't even carry the spiteful mutation. Mm-hmm. And you'd expect those ideas to be more prominent among higher class humans because across time, Gregory Clark has shown in his book, The Sun Also Rises, that across many, many generations, heritability of social class is about 70%. So the higher social classes would have entered a dysgenic fertility basically earlier because of better conditions. So you'd expect more spiteful mutations among them. And you'd expect the adaptive kind of ways of thinking, ethnocentrism, whatever, to be more preserved among the lower class. And you'd expect those that were in the higher class, some of them to have these spike mutations and thus influence the whole society to be maladaptive. As you see with what it's basically doing, which once you open up the floodgates to immigration from foreign countries and damage your own ethnic interests, it's like letting wild animals into a zoo. And it's like letting wild mice into that mouse utopia. You've got these people that are a zoo, basically, that have no adaptation anymore to real life and to fighting and to these things that they, they should be selected for. And they're suddenly exposed to people who have been under Darwinian selection until more recently. What is happening, as you describe it, seems to be so pervasive and, if you will, successful, you'd almost think it's a coordinated uh, thing in some way. I mean, uh, is someone pulling the strings on this? Uh, is there a, you know, I would think that maybe the environmental agenda from the left who, you know, has this sort of, I think, misguided belief that, you know, humans are evil, they don't like people, they like animals, and I, I love animals. The concept being people are the scourge of the earth, right? We need to rid the planet of people because uh, they are destroying the planet. When you know, the reality is people certainly do take a toll on the planet, but they also solve problems and 
they are a resource. They come up with solutions and ideas and they clean the planet too. I don't know. I, I think people have the right to be here just like animals. Uh, animals pollute the planet too. They produce waste. Yes, and... we, can, we can say that, <laughs> yes, naturally we can say that there will be many examples of these. That, so under Darwinian conditions, we would be selected to a certain optimum which would probably basically be high intelligence because that helps you to survive, high cooperative personality and high religiousness because there's evidence that that's 40% genetic, that it's associated with fertility, that it elevates ethnocentrism and elevates cooperativeness and therefore it basically helps the group to survive. And the group that's more religious tends to be more ethnocentric and we've shown from computer models the more ethnocentric group tends to survive. So we'd be elevated to this optimum and then as the, the mutational load would build up, you'd get more and more of these spiteful mutants that would deviate from this mm-hmm. in directions that would be maladaptive. One of those would be multiculturalism, putting the interests of foreigners above your own ethnic kin. Another one, as you say, would be putting the interests of other animals above us. And so, yes, I would agree with you. And I would think that that a lot of these people that lead this movement or are heavily involved in it would be what we would call spiteful mutants. Mm -hmm. And this is demonstrated by the fact that if you look at all of them, they're quite irreligious, they're quite atheistic. And I did a study on this called The Mutant Says in His Heart There Is No God. Mm -hmm. And we found atheism correlates with all manner of indications of high mutational load. Atheists are less, more asymmetrical bodies and features and hands than people that believe in God. They die younger. They get more ill. They're less likely to recover from illness. They're higher in mental illness. They have more asymmetrical fingers. They're more likely to be left-handed. And normally being left-handed is associated with something having gone wrong with the brain in development. There's all kinds of ways in which they're basically mutants. And that's what I think these environmentalists are. And they are directing it in the sense that they, you know, they are these spiked mutants and they have this genetic death wish, just as we have a wish to live. And therefore, they will fight tooth and nail for what their genes are telling them to achieve, which is this genetic death wish for humanity. What would be the rationale and nature that they would have a genetic death wish? I mean, that's just... Don't we all have the self-preservation instinct? There's no rationale in it. In nature, you have Darwinian selection. Darwinian selection means that the child mortality rate is normally quite high. That means that children that have poor immune systems or whatever normally don't pass on their genes. People that have poor immune systems, these physical problems, these normally are comorbid with mental problems. Mental problems, maladaptations of the mind are comorbid with maladaptations of the body. People who, for example, are paedophiles, a maladaptation of the mind, are more likely to have attached earlobes, for example. Yeah. So this means, as I look at it in my book, How to Judge People by What They Look Like, you can read a great deal about a person from their face and from their body. The mind correlates with the body. So if you have a maladaptive body, you would have been killed off under Darwinian selection. Mm -hmm. And by your maladaptive body being killed off, your maladaptive mind with its maladaptive ideas. Remember, the mind is 80% of the genome. It's a massive target of mutation would have been killed off. But we have managed to take control of our society. We have a limited Darwinian selection. And so these maladaptive things are not being purged. It's not a matter of rationale. It's simply that the rationale of Darwinian selection has been heavily limited. Wow, this is incredible to hear this uh, kind of thing. What else do you want people to know? Just wrap it up with any closing thoughts, if you would. 
my attitude is basically this. Civilizations always move in these cycles. They tend to move in cycles of intelligence and cycles of health. They reach a top point and then they collapse. It may well be the case that we can't possibly go on getting more and more intelligent forever because there's some evidence that high, very high IQ correlates with autism and, and not wanting to have sex and allergies and whatever. And so we'd probably die out if we got too intelligent. So it may be in the nature of things that, that there has to be this cycle of civilization. We will collapse into the winter of civilization. But we can do things like old age. If you know you're going to get old, do you just kill yourself now? No, you don't. You get old, but you plan for old age and you do things to make it better so that you slow down the inevitable. We can do things. To, we can't stop, I think, the collapse of civilization back into Darwinian conditions, but we can slow it down by not having a welfare state that's huge, by not having immigration from these countries, and all of the other things that we've, we've looked at. We can slow it down. And also, we should not, not give up, because basically, once we, what's going to happen, clearly, is that Darwinian conditions will be reintroduced. As you get more immigration, for example, ethnic diversity, it's been demonstrated by Putnam, leads to ethnic conflict. Ethnic conflict leads to stress and instinctiveness. Stress elevates religiousness. Religiousness elevates ethnocentrism. Instinctiveness elevates ethnocentrism. So it's likely that it's not, there won't be a total destruction of Western civilization. Western civilization will eventually fight back once Darwinian conditions reassert themselves. Right. But that's a losing proposition for the West. You know, I had Pat Buchanan on the show years ago, and he wrote a, a book called Death of the West. And, you know, of course, nobody wanted to hear just. St simple statistics, you know, that it's just crazy that you free speech is a total myth on a college campus or on the left. You really can take over a country simply by birth rate. Yes. There's no coming back from that. But once the uh, people are uh, like the Europeans in America are under sufficient pressure, feel excluded enough, feel stressed enough, they tend to become ethnocentric once again. Darwinian selection reintroduces itself, and then there's a movement in the other direction. It's not a movement in terms of birth rate, though, is no, it? No, but there would, there would be. If they were put under Darwinian conditions again, there would uh -huh. be. At what point does that happen? Say you take Europe now, right? And you see you see all these attacks in France and, and look at Belgium. You know, they want to institute Sharia law in Belgium and crazy stuff like this. Uh, well, what, you know, when at what point does everybody start to decide to, you know, start having uh, having babies? Well, I mean, put it this way. We wouldn't have been ha even if there was the Internet to the same extent that there is now, we wouldn't have been having a conversation like this 20 years ago. Yeah. There's a degree to which people are kind of gradually waking up to what's going on. But certainly, based on current trends, a hundred years hence, we will be back to the level of per capita innovation that we were in in the Dark Ages. A hundred years from now, we'll be back to the level that we were about 1000. Oh, wonderful. And that was when Islamic civilization was decadent. It was the European civilization that was under the selection pressure, and then it was the European civilization that displaced them. So in I would think certainly a hundred years from now, we will have degenerated into Darwinian conditions and war, and thus a clear fight back. But I, I, did, I do think it's to a certain extent already happening. So suddenly, when all of the Europeans who built that great continent, you know, all the scientific discoveries, all the music, all the art, all the fashion, all the food, all the greatness of Europe, right? They will be almost gone in a hundred years, and the few of them that remain will start having children <laughs> again. The Europeans that are having babies are the low IQ Europeans and the religious Europeans. Right. It's those two groups. So the future of Europe is low IQ people, low IQ and highly religious. And those two groups tend to be highly ethnocentric.
that alone should tell you that's what the future of European man is going to be. It's going to be more like what Arabs or whatever are like now, which is highly ethnocentric, because that's who's breeding. Wow. Yeah, this is um, this is amazing. Give out your website. Tell people where they can find out more. So I do a vlog once a week uh, where I discuss it. I do a video on whatever I'm thinking about in terms of my research. That's called The Jolly Heretic. You can go there. If you're really nice, you can give me a few dollars on Subscribestar or on Patreon or whatever. But anyway, my, 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 all my videos are there to be watched. And then you can um, have a look at my books. So as I say, there's At Our Wits End, Why We're Becoming Less Intelligent, What It Means for the Future, Ethnocentrism, Race Differences in Ethnocentrism, um, The Silent Rape Epidemic, and then the, the one on Churchill that you mentioned. So there's, there's, very, there's, and there's others as well, older ones. So if, if people are interested to read more about this than I can sum up here, then you know, do, do have a look. Edward Dutton, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Music